alert. If you are hearing this warning the bay doors are sealed. The experiments are loose. And it is too late to escape. Don't be afraid of me. Welcome nerd to the 144th voyage of the amazing nerd show. And welcome to Horror Month. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. So, Christian, we're in the middle of our horror month, you know, our third annual. Um, and just some follow-up uh, from the past episode. Uh, uh -huh. You know, last week we did our zombie film countdown. Um, definitely check that out if you haven't yet. But, you know, we didn't get to talk about it. I wanted to ask you, what do you prefer in a zombie film? Running zombies or slow-moving zombies? I, I go back and forth because like a lot of bad movies, bad zombie movies have running zombies is the problem I'm having with this like debate in my mind. Mm -hmm. I, now, if I were to deal with it, of course, I would want slow moving zombies. Oh, yeah. No, if you're personally <laughs> <laughs> like in the situation, absolutely. Uh, you want to deal with like, you know, slow moving zombies. Fuck that. <laughs> but like movie wise, like what do you prefer? I've enjoyed how current films have handled fast zombies, but at the same time, I, there's a lot more tension that you can build with a slow zombie, I feel like, in most films. So yeah, I, I appreciate it. I mean, how do you feel about it? So, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm probably more of a traditionalist when it comes to zombies. I prefer, like, the slow-moving ones. I just feel like it sets more of a mood, you know, and builds more suspense. Uh, you know, just I think part of that's just growing up, you know, with, like, Romero movies and everything. But at the same time, I don't necessarily have a problem with running zombies. I mean, Return of the Living Dead, like right then and there. Like that's, you know, one of my favorite, you know, zombie movies of all time. And they're definitely running in that film. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, they always feel a little more action orientated to me. And I think I like smaller, more contained stories. But there are plenty of awesome running zombie movies. So I, I think really I could, you know, you know, I don't know, take it or leave it, honestly. And hey, there's like tons of super slow zombie films with action, like oriented, like Resident Evil, you know? Aren't they? I, I This tells you I have not watched a Resident <laughs> Evil film in a very long time. Are they slow moving zombies in Resident Evil? Um, they get faster as the series goes on because, okay. you know, that series just goes ADD crack by the end. But um, <laughs> the well, first two are definitely slow moving. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And then they have other creatures that are faster. That Do you think that's more of them like adjusting to like the trends? Oh, absolutely. Okay. They're, they were definitely just like, hey, and they probably just wanted to move the story as fast as possible. Yeah. And they didn't care anymore at a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's definitely true. So. <laughs> but hopefully all that changes soon. Sure. <laughs> all right. So before we move on, just a reminder, it is Horror Month. Uh, our third annual. We'll be celebrating Halloween all month long by doing multiple countdowns of our favorite subgenres. Uh, of horror so uh, you know last week was zombie films this week we're going to be talking about ghost films uh, but before we do that we are still going to be bringing you all your nerd news so don't fret if you're not a huge horror fan uh, you know we'll be talking you know Marvel DC Star Wars you know the whole shebang if you will yeah, and stay tuned to the end of the show. We'll be uh, covering and reviewing NXT TakeOver number 31 and talking New Japan. Before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. 
And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. First off, it's a real slow week, um, you know, regarding like just like news in general. I mean, comparatively speaking to like this past month where we had like big stories dropping every week. So, um, you know, if anything does, you know, pop up, you know, later on in the week, we'll definitely, you know, jump in like we did last week and, you know, throw it on. But yeah, absolutely. We we got about three stories right now. (laughs) Yeah. Everything's delayed in general. So that's (laughs) it is what it is. is. (laughs) Well, first off, rumor has it Wonder Woman will be in the Flash film. So yes, uh, the Illuminati is back at it again. Gal Gadot is reportedly in talks to join Eddie Muschietti and Ezra Miller's Flash film. Uh, There are really no details right now, but we do know that Warner Brothers has been looking to bring her in for a cameo role for a while. So, um, and we know also that we've got a huge cast forming here. I mean, they're bringing back Ben Affleck, you know, to play Batman once again. (laughs) and also Michael Keaton to reprise his role. So, um, should be interesting. There is no word on Ray Fisher yet. We know he was rumored to be in talks to be returning as Cyborg in this film, but we haven't heard anything yet, so we shall see. I don't know, Damon. I still have zero hope that they can handle, like, this many characters in one film. It it screams Spider-Man 3 to me. The more and more I hear, like, they're, they're putting this character in this character. I don't know. It's, I, a, it's just I like the concept that they're mm-hmm. going for, but you're right, it is a big undertaking. I mean, they're getting up to like, you know, infinity war level with the yes. cast. <laughs> it seems like. So that's a lot of characters to service, but I, it feels like, you know, roles like Cyborg and, you know, Wonder Woman are going to be more like cameo type deals. So, I don't know. It's doable. We've seen it before, man. Have faith. As long as they didn't bite off more than they can chew. And now, an amazing nerd show breaking news alert! So this is Total Deja Vu. It is now Thursday. Our episode is already in the can, but we had some late-breaking news we wanted to share with you. And once again, it is Spider-Man 3 related. So this just in, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange is joining Spider-Man 3. Um, this is according to The Hollywood Reporter. Um, Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange will be acting as Peter's mentor this time around, filling in the role of the recently deceased Tony Stark. Um, with this news and the news that Jamie Foxx is reprising his role as Electro, you definitely gotta fear the multiverse might be playing a part in Spidey's next adventure. Uh, but only time can tell, I guess. What we do know is Spider-Man 3 will be coming to theaters in December 2021, and Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will be hitting theaters March 2022. So it feels like Spider-Man 3 will definitely be a lead-in in sorts for Dr. Strange's newest film. But alright, let's get you back to our regularly scheduled program. Alright, like I said at the beginning of the news, a lot of shit has been delayed. Um, The Batman delayed to 2022, Warner Brothers shifts the Matrix for The Flash and more. So, no big surprise here. I mean, 
Warner Brothers is kind of following suit with Disney, uh, you know, and moving their entire slate around, which, I mean, it is what it is at this point. Um, but the Batman moves from October 1st, 2021 to March 4th, 2022. Uh, the Matrix 4 actually moves up from April 1st, 2022 to December 22nd, 2021. Uh, the Flash moves from June 3rd, 2022 to November 4th, 2022. Shazam 2 will be moving from November 4th, 2022 to June 2nd, 2023. And Black Adam moves from December 22nd, 2021 to now it's it's just undated. So uh, we'll see what that means. But yeah, I mean, it's par for the course. And I mean, I think no one is really surprised at this point. And if you are, you haven't really been paying attention. All right, up next, Netflix's live-action version of Resident Evil will be going back to the scary roots of the first two games and finally announced its cast. Well, it definitely sounds like a good time to be a Resident Evil fan because, I mean, that franchise has a lot going on right now. Um, but yeah, no, we know that Netflix is both developing a live-action series and an animated series. Plus, they're doing a movie right now, so Netflix is definitely all in on Resident Evil. So we know that they have director Jonas Roberts on board, and he has been quoted this week as saying, uh, with this movie, I really wanted to go back to the original first two games and recreate the terrifying visceral experience I had when I first played them. Um, at the same time, like telling a grounded human story and a small, about a small dying American town that feels both relatable and relevant to today's audiences. So I think that's good news for hardcore Resident Evil fans. Um, also, in bigger news, they announced a cast this week. Well, that's right, Damon. The cast includes Kaya Kaya Scadiel Lario. That's why I passed the ball, Christian. Playing Claire Redfield, we have Hannah John Kamen as Jill Valentine. We have Robbie Amell as Chris Redfield, and we have Tom Hopper as Albert Wesker, our big villain. Um, a Avin Jagia from Zombieland Double Tap as Leon. Sure. Um, S. Kennedy. Uh, Neil McDonough um, <laughs> as William Birkin. I, that's me getting through the names. I don't know um, their names. I know the character names for sure. I mean, but, if you uh, got one of those right, I'd be impressed. So <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It is what it is. Well, hopefully soon they just all become household names and they just roll off the tongue. So my my main issue with this was it's, it sounds like he's going to focus more on Raccoon City rather than because when he talks about the first two games, the first two games are pretty much locked in one setting for most like for 90 percent of the game. So I was surprised by him saying, oh, we're focusing on the town and what's going on there. I'm like, well, that's not kind of what happens. They they go into a fucking crazy mansion. It seems haunted and turns out there's zombies there. And then they unlock a grand mystery of of Umbrella Corporation. And that's that's kind of the story. I mean, well, that's I, I, as simple as that. I remember it's just a quote. So maybe he misspelled. I know. <laughs> so I want to get too heated about it, Christian. <laughs> I'm not gonna get too heated. I just, I, I just watched Resident Evil One and Two again. So uh, I'm like, this is exactly like, you know, where the they kind of just took where, <laughs> exactly the classics. You know, the the best, vi some of the best video game movies out there. So <laughs> saying a lot. Not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> it's better than House of the Dead. I'm still looking forward to it. Okay. 
There we go. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for the news. All right, horror fans, it's time for the main event. It's time to get into our Horror Month countdown. So, Damon, why don't you let them know why we chose Ghosts for our countdown this week? So, originally, this countdown's theme was going to be paranormal films. But since that just felt like too broad of a term and would put into play, you know, other types of movies like Demons, which totally deserves their own, like, countdown, we decided to just focus on ghost films for this week. So why is the ghost subgenre so special? Um, I think it's really because it delves into that primal fear of the unknown. Um, it explores themes such as grief and loss, spirituality and the afterlife. Themes that are just universal and super relatable. Um, you know, it also liberates filmmakers from like everyday conventional storytelling and allows them to use our imaginations against us. I think everyone's had a moment where they felt like they're being haunted by something. Um, and that's one of the main reasons it's attracted so many talented directors throughout the years. So anyway, putting together this list was almost impossible, um, especially whittling it down to just 10 films especially since there have been so many great ones throughout the history of film. Uh, so, you know, we definitely felt like we had to do honorable mentions this countdown. Uh, if this was a top 15 countdown, these movies would definitely make the cut. Um, the Orphanage, Insidious, The Others, and The Legend of Hell House. And last but not least, Ghostbusters. Um, this countdown is more horror-focused, so that's really the only reason why Ghostbusters didn't make it, uh, because Ghostbusters is one of our favorite films of all time, uh, and if we ever did, like, a horror countdown, it would definitely make it high on that list, so, but anyway, I digress, let's go ahead and get into our countdown. Number 10 of the best ghost films. The Haunting. The Haunting is an undeniable classic. It, I mean, it literally wrote the blueprint on how to make these ghost films work. It operates solely on the theater of the mind, building suspense through things like sound and performance. I mean, you don't see much in this fucking film, but it doesn't make it any less effective. I mean, any horror fan worth their salt can watch this film and literally track its influences across the decades since it was made. Number nine. Ring. Ringu or Ring is a late 90s classic that really helped kick off the J-horror boom and to this day is probably one of the most successful of them. Um, and that's because this movie is terrifying. It unsettles and unnerves the viewer without using gratuitous jump scares. Utilizing subtlety and sound design techniques that allows this film to show you but not 
tell you what to be afraid of at every single moment. Its slow burn style and ultimately tragic story creeps up behind you to create memorable lasting scares that leave you truly haunted. To this day the original ring scares even me. Number 8. Poltergeist The amount of nightmare fuel this film gave me as a young child in the 80s is just ridiculous. I mean, from the creepy stuffed clown and the tree outside the window and the fucking TV, it was just enough to ruin my life for the entire year. Um, Poltergeist took ghost stories out of gothic castles and giant mansions and really brought the horror to the suburbs. Uh, even though legendary Toby Hooper's name is attached as director, rumor has it that Spielberg was behind the camera more so than not. And, I mean, it really does make sense because his fingerprints are all over this film. I mean, to me, Poltergeist is as much of a, you know, Spielberg film as E.T. And that's probably why we love it so much. Number 7. The Conjuring. Look what she Look what you made me do! After years of watching poorly done horror movies throughout the 2000s, or films that were all about gore, The Conjuring took me by surprise. In just under two hours, James Wan reinvigorated my love of horror and gave me hope for the future of the genre, because that's just how good of a film this was. How I would describe it is that Wan and company just captured an old school style ghost flick and modernized it. It has a slow build up at first, but it's never boring. The cast owns their roles and makes the story of the Warrens investigations great for anyone that is into the paranormal. It kicked off a franchise that I still hold in high regards and I still argue that is one of the best horror flicks to come out in the 2010s. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Grandma comes to visit me sometimes. Oh, that's very wrong. Grandma's gone, you know that. I know. She wanted me to tell you. Oh, please. She stop. wanted me to tell you she saw you dance. She said, when you were little, you and her had a fight right before your dance recital. You thought she didn't come to see you dance. She did. So The Sixth Sense is a victim of time. Unfortunately, throughout the years since it's been released, it's been kind of reduced to its twist ending, and if you ask me, that's just unforgivable. Because the film is just so much more. Great performances, bone-chilling scenes, and well-orchestrated scares. I mean, M. Night crafted a great film, filled with beauty, heartbreak, and fucking horror. I mean, it's the kind of film that stays with you for days after viewing it. I think it just gets unfairly blamed because of the amount of bad copycat films that preceded it throughout the rest of the decade. Uh, but I plead with you, get over the memes and, you know, the bad quotes in the twist ending and just re-watch it or watch it for the first time for that matter. I mean, as ridiculous as it sounds, The Sixth Sense, a movie that was nominated for multiple Academy Awards, is truly underrated. And now the top five ghost films. 
Number 5. The Changeling. What is in this house? Speak to John. John is with us. How did you die? Did you die in this house? Why do you remain in this house, Joseph? How did you die? Joseph, did you die in this house? The Changeling is a bit of an overlooked classic. I mean, dark, brooding, and incredibly creepy. Many films have been inspired by this unsung haunted house story. Um, in this film, we're introduced to John Russell, played by George C. Scott. And an actually kind of subdued performance for him. Um, he's a man consumed by his own grief after losing his wife and daughter to a horrible accident in the beginning of the movie. Uh, he moves to Seattle to a giant historical mansion that just seems to echo his loneliness. Uh, and of course, we soon discover he's not alone. The Changeling is a film that is just thick with ambiance. Uh, the mansion is a character onto itself. Even though the film is supposed to take place in like the current day that it was released, 1980, the aesthetics almost feels gothic and timeless. The director, Peter Medic, he uses this to kind of build a sense of melancholy for Russell, making him feel small, but strangely not alone. Uh, this is due to just creative like angles and shot selection to make it feel like he's being watched at times. The film is the definition of a slow burn. Um, it's not a buffet of jump scares. The scares are really like subtle and expertly built through visuals and the use of sound. The score is composed by Rick Wilkins, and it's just so moody and sad, but classic. Um, you know, brilliantly, they have John Russell in the film be a composer himself. So this allows him to, like, speak through his, like, piano playing at times. And it's just a beautiful use of diegetic music. Uh, this less is more approach makes it feel like a gut punch when something actually does start to happen. I mean, it will have you like jumping at the sight of a ball bouncing or like th the sight of the most fucking terrifying wheelchair I've ever seen. Um, there's this like seance scene in this movie that has always just like stuck with me. I remember being younger and watching it and I mean, for the first time and literally changing the channel like when the medium starts to communicate with a ghost by writing on a notepad. Um, the sound of the scribbling on the paper was just enough to build up this suspense so much that it was just unbearable for me to handle. Um, these like little nuances that may come across as almost tropey nowadays was so like expertly used, you know, in this film that it probably established the tropes in the first place. Anyway, these are just some of the reasons I always revisit this film around this time of year. I mean, if you enjoy the haunted house genre, definitely visit The Changeling and try to enjoy your stay. Number 4. The Amityville Horror
The Amityville Horror turned a home into a horror icon, as imagery of the windows alone can get you in the Halloween spirit. The film itself unfolds in horrifying fashion as you watch a loving father struggle but ultimately attempt to turn on his family. What makes this such a standout film is its performances as you watch James Brolin fall into the darkness of this cursed home. George Lutzk as a character steals the show in my opinion. Whenever I think back to this film I recall the moments of pain as he feels like he's being mentally ripped apart. The entire Lutz family puts forward a great showing as director Rosenberg and crew go a little crazy with special effects to make this house feel truly haunted. Everything from the wife to the terrifying daughter and her best friend leave you with memorable moments that add to the legacy of the home. I mean, I don't know, you know, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I have no idea why the fuck they would stay in that house for as long as I did, but it's sure made for great cinema and is now a Halloween season must-watch. Number 3. The Devil's Backbone Santi, habla conmigo. No quiero que nadie se muera. Santi, por favor. All right, number three, The Devil's Backbone. The Devil's Backbone is one of Guillermo del Toro's most poignant pieces of work. A beautiful atmospheric ghost story centered around the tail end of the Spanish Civil War. This wonderful crafted allegory is about the unforgiving cycle of war in all of its horrors. Um, we're introduced in this film to a young boy named Carlos who's brought to an orphanage after his father dies. He's soon forced to unravel a mystery surrounding the ghost of a young boy that haunts its grounds. The film has this eerie, dreamlike quality that's just enhanced artfully by the cinematography. It like it almost gives off this glow to all of its surroundings. But unlike Del Toro's other film based on the Spanish Civil War, Pan's Labyrinth, there is no fantasy element to this film. I mean, it deals with the cold bleakness of reality. And this holds true with Del Toro's design for Santi, the ghost of the child. Uh, the imagery forces you to come face to face with the terrifying reality of this child's death. And it's both unnerving and unforgettable. Um, because in the end, the true horror of the devil's backbone lies in the trauma and tragedy of war. And with this movie, Del Toro showing us, it's these chapters in our history book that will haunt us to the end of time. Number two, Juan, The Grudge. Now, I know I said Ringu was a terrifying film, and it is, but Juan is a beast of its own. A home in Tokyo that was the scene of the horrible murder of Keiko, her son, and even the family cat births a terrible curse, turning the family's spirits into vengeful monsters and ultimately consuming all who enter. While at times the performances, yeah, they, they can be shaky. Uh, the film's true selling point is the way it handles imagery. Similar to Ring, things aren't just thrown into your face left and right. There isn't going to be a jump scare every five minutes. 
there is an immense tension and buildup to each scare, and the scares can either be subtle or bone-chillingly hard to look at. And the way the film is structured gives you, the viewer, that feeling of being consumed by the curse, as the mystery behind the family's grisly deaths unfolds. While the story was made more linear and simplified for American audiences, you can still see a lot of the director's intense use of imagery in those releases as well. It's what makes um, this series truly horrific and the characters truly terrifying. Um, it sticks with me and makes it an easy choice for my top five ghost films. Number one on the best ghost films countdown, The Shining. I saw your picture in the newspapers. You, uh, chopped your wife and daughter up into little bits. And, uh, then you blew your brains out. That's strange, sir. I don't have any recollection of that at all. Sorry to differ with you, sir. But you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. While we struggled with the placement of many of the films on much of this countdown, um, from the beginning there was no doubt what film would make the number one slot, and that had to be The Shining. Um, the film is directed by Stanley Kubrick and based on the novel from the master of horror himself, Stephen King. Uh, this is not only my favorite ghost story, but it's one of my favorite films of all time. It dismisses much of the standard conventions that we talked about a lot throughout our countdown, um, you know, that make the subgenre so successful. There are no dark shadows for the ghost to hide in the Overlook Hotel. Kubrick instead has much of the horror take place in large, brightly lit rooms, so there's no mistaking what these characters are witnessing or experiencing. Um, to build up that sense of dread, he really relies on his camera and, and things like the score and these brilliant performances. Every frame of this film is painstakingly detailed by him, um, making it feel like a film that is taking place in almost like a painting. Uh, his pioneering use of the Steadicam allows us to feel like the young boy Danny traveling through the hallways of the Overlook and coming across some of the most disturbing visuals and spirits that have ever haunted film. But Kubrick's elegant craftsmanship aside, at the heart of this film, regardless of how he feels about Kubrick's interpretation, is King's story of a man's descent into madness. I mean, like I've said before, no one does insane like Jack Nicholson. I mean, his performance is truly iconic, but also deserving credit is Shelley Duvall. Her reactions to everything that's happening in the film really heighten the terror. And then there's Danny, played by the young Danny Lloyd. Tormented by his ESP abilities, I mean, he's really a harbinger of things to come and acts as a conduit to the evil living within the Overlook. But unfortunately, he's too young to do much about it. And when he finally does warn the family, Red Rum, it's, it's just too late. 
All these different elements make for one of the most obsessed over horror films of all time. There's been plenty of books and documentaries dissecting this film. And to think this film was critically panned when it first was released. Kubrick even received a nomination for a Razzie for Worst Director. I mean, that tells you right there how much credence you should put into things like Rotten Tomato scores, because The Shining is a true masterpiece in every sense of the word. That is truly stunning to hear. While I knew it wasn't a hit when it came out, I didn't realize Kubrick actually got nominated for a fucking Razzie. Because like, like you said, I, I think this film is more than worthy of being number one in a sub-genre sub list. I look at this film as something that stands far above the genre of horror as a whole. Even as we get further and further away from its initial release, I believe it stands the test of time and deserves to be our number one for all the reasons you gave and more. Kubrick and Nicholson were a match made in heaven, and I can't recommend more that horror fans watch this film every chance that they get. And with that said, that does it for this week's countdown. And I doubt that you have any problems with it, but if you do, or if you think there's some films that we missed, let us know in the comments below and join us for next week's Horror Month Countdown. Hi everyone, I'm Nick, the host and founder of the show The St. Paul Filmcast. I'm also an independent comic book writer and illustrator. And on films, I do storyboard art and I'm a production assistant. Listen to my show, the St. Paul Filmcast, when I interview directors, actresses and actresses, editors, cinematographers, sound mixers, makeup artists, and producers of independent films from the Twin Cities area. We will also have filmmakers from outstate, around the United States, and international. Oh, and we'll have occasionally other guests, podcasters, and novelists who talk about their favorite films as well. It's the St. Paul Filmcast, where you can find an iTunes Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, and Amazon Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. It's the St. Paul Filmcast, where it's never over to the guests say it's over. All right, it's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. All right, so it's been a pretty slow news week for gaming as well. The biggest stories that have been out are the PlayStation 5. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the PlayStation 5 reviews that were going on in Japan. And then later on, I'm going to give you my first impressions of Star Wars Squadrons. So uh, first up, we're going to talk about the PlayStation. It's fucking massive. <laughs> it, looks, it looks like it's two times the size of the fucking PlayStation 4. But, you know, um, the big things, the big takeaways from all these reviews that I read, you know, was that it's got a much quieter and cooler fan inside of it. You know, so they, it seems like, and reports say, that they spent a lot of money on the cooling system for the PlayStation 5. Um, you know, the PlayStation 4 has had a massive cooling errors. You know, um, I've had PlayStations overheat on in winter times, you know, where, where my house wasn't hot and stuff like that. You know, um, it... it it was a major concern for the PlayStation 4, so I'm glad to see that it's, you know, they really improved on it for the PlayStation 5. I don't know if that's what led to the size. I mean, when they took it apart, that fan was pretty fucking huge, so I'm not surprised <laughs> well, how big this console is. 
Another thing that they talked about was how the DualSense, um, the new one, the new controller feels much better than the PlayStation 4 one. Um, you know, my, my big takeaway from the PlayStation 4 DualShock was lack of customization and lack of, um, you know, the, the pro version of it just did not have the same feel as the Xbox Elite controller. And that's something I was, I was wanting more out of a PlayStation controller, was something more on the lines of, you know, something heavy duty like that Elite controller that came out. And I have an Elite controller for my uh, PC, so it's just like, it, it just always felt much better than the PlayStation 4 controller in general. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's, it seems like it feels better in um, players' hands, stuff like that. Um, another thing that they talked about was they didn't really get to play any games that really showed off the new load times. Played that um, that new slasher loot thing, um, Godfall, and then they also played the Astro Boy game that's going to come with the console. Uh, and apparently neither of them really showed off anything that was too impressive on the loading side, you know, where maybe a game like Ratchet and Clank would have probably um, utilized the new SSD space and stuff like that more. And that's the thing I need to know the most about, you know, I, you know, I get so frustrated while I'm streaming and I have to wait after dying in Outer Worlds for fucking five minutes uh, to get the game to load back up and stuff like that. You know, it, it's, you know, all those breaks and play, you know, take you out of the experience. You know, you, you want to be immersed, you constantly, you know, you're in the game. That's that's how it is. That's how it should be. Uh, and I'm, I'm, that's why I was most excited about with hearing the PlayStation 5 was going to have these, you know, incredible load times. So I, I want to see that out there. I mean, they haven't put any review copies or review, like, machines for American um, reviewers so I mean we'll see what happens in the next few weeks you know the console comes out um, November 12th so I mean the time's ticking away we're almost a month away so I mean we'll find out I mean does that say anything to you guys I mean does that does that give you a bad feeling knowing that they haven't given it um, given review copies out um, to as international folks as well um, so and if Sony's listening I'll, I'll also you know love to review the console <laughs> that's not gonna happen uh, <laughs> uh, I'm still excited for it you know uh, my PlayStation 4 is you know on its last legs um, I need to start switching over and playing more PC games for you guys on stream so we'll see how that goes uh, but speaking of a game that I've been playing on the PlayStation 4 I've been playing Star Wars Squadrons um, Star Wars Squadrons has been extremely enjoyable after playing games like Marvel's Avengers uh, I've needed something else that was new, that was something fun, and I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, so I absolutely love Star Wars ships in general. Um, Rogue Squadron's one of my favorite Star Wars games, so you know, getting into Star Wars Squadrons and playing that has been incredibly fun. Now, it, it is more focused towards VR play, and I do not have a VR setup, so I'm doing controller and just looking at a screen um, while I'm playing. Which, uh, I don't feel like I'm losing too much of an experience. I do feel like it would be much more fun if I had the VR experience. Like it definitely feels like, hey, we want to make a VR game, but we also want it to be as accessible as possible to those who don't have VR as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I definitely do think um, it was at the right price point, putting it around $40. Um, you know, I'm not too far into the story. You can still um, check out my videos on YouTube. Um, I've only done maybe two streams of Star Wars Squadron so far, so um, you know I've been cutting those up. Uh, today, I, today uh, would mark the day where I finished pretty much the first um, stream up on the YouTube channel. So you can definitely check out all my Star Wars Squadron stuff um, on YouTube right now. But I am 
it's exceeding my expectations. The amount of control you have over the actual ship and like changing your power to shields and engines and to lasers and stuff like that has been super fun and super unique as a Star Wars experience. I think this is something that they've been missing um, in the Star Wars video game realm in general. I'm super happy that it exists. Um, but, you know, it's not something as serious as Ghost of Tsushima. I'm not going to say that this game is anywhere near, like, Game of the Year or anything like that. But, I mean, it's something that you can just easily hop in and out of at any time and still have a good time. You know, um, I would I would put it on the same level in my mind as maybe, like, a Call of Duty game, where it's, like, it's not something that you have to take super seriously. Um, you can just jump in at any time. But Call of Duty fans are screaming at me right now, like, Call of Duty is fucking life, man! But, you know... <laughs> um, Star Wars Squadrons is super fun. I definitely say if you've got 40 bucks and you want to have a fun experience, you should check it out. Um, otherwise, if you want to wait for sale, it's fine, but I, I definitely think it's worth the $40 uh, price point. Um, I definitely recommend it. Um, so, I mean, that's going to do it for my corner this week. Super short and simple. Um, nothing big news-wise has come out. Um, if anything comes over the weekend, I will definitely talk about it, maybe live on, on the streams, or I'll just save it for next week's episode. This weekend in general, I'm going to be playing um, Vampire this time around. Um, it became free on PlayStation Network, so I'm going to be checking that out um, for Horror Month. And then I'm going to continue on with some more Star Wars Squadrons. I believe I played some on Thursday. Uh, so Friday and Saturday, I might jump in for a little bit on that. Um, got almost, you know, we're getting closer and closer, I say, every fucking week. Because I, I I'm stretching it out as much as I can. Ghost of Tsushima is almost up. Um... I'm, I'm depressed that it's almost up because I fucking love that game. Uh, we're going to continue on with The Outer Worlds. Um, we'll see if I hop back into Metro Exodus or not. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm leaving Metro Exodus only for Twitch at this point. I'm going to make most of the uh, um, horror um, games, you know, going to leave those for the live streams rather than putting those up on YouTube and stuff like that because I don't know if I'm going to actually finish them during this month or not because I'm playing, you know, a new one each weekend. So, I mean, um, if there's any games that you're, you're interested in me checking out or playing, you know, my November schedule is pretty open right now uh, for games, and I'm looking to fill them up. So, well, let's see. All right, um, let's move on. So, Damon, you saw a movie this week. That's right. I saw Dark Sky Films hosts. Do you know how this story ends? <laughs> they destroy everything he loves. A family falls victim to a series of violent murders when they invite their neighbors over for Christmas dinner. This was written and directed by Adam Leader and Richard Oakes. So hosts, not to be confused with the film we reviewed earlier this year, Host, um, the found footage film directed by Rob Savage, um, Hosts um, is a small British independent supernatural slash horror film. Uh, the film takes place on Christmas Eve uh, as we meet a young couple, Jack and Lucy, who are about to head over to the neighbors for dinner. Um, when Lucy um, notices two strange orbs float outside of the window. Um, you know, very light spoilers ahead. I don't want to go into too many details. But skip ahead. When Lucy and Jack arrive for dinner, it's obvious something is very wrong. And of course, soon as dinner is served, all hell breaks loose. 
So, like, right off the bat, I will say I'm a sucker for a horror film with a Christmas backdrop. I love films like Silent Night, Deadly Night, Black Christmas, and very recently Krampus. Uh, something just about the juxtaposition just does it for me. I mean, and Host definitely goes a little deeper uh, with the holiday and plays with themes and takes a look at like how society subverts like the original intent, you know, of Christmas. So I'm pretty much on board from the start. And I'm happy to say I found this film to be, you know, a really nice twist on the home invasion subgenre, you know, really clever and just entertaining. And what really won me over is the way first-time directors Adam Leader and Richard Oakes crafted their story. We spend much of the first half hour of this film getting to know these characters and really growing to care for them. The family and the relationships feel just lived in and real. So when shit does hit the fan, you're genuinely like invested in their fate. Uh, let me tell you, like, shit gets real fast, though. Host is not for the faint of heart. Um, it really takes a page out of the new French extremity wave from the early 2000s. I mean, the violence not only grabs you by the throat, but it rips it out and stomps on it. I mean, once again, this works so well because the performances are so strong. Especially, like, one in particular that I really can't get into because I don't want to spoil it. But, I mean, it's really heartwarming and just this, like, you know, powerful scene. But, needless to say, the aftermath just breaks you down um, and resonates through the entire movie. So, like, speaking of performance, too, uh, a standout is um, Lucy, played by Nadia Lemin. Uh, but, yeah, she's downright terrifying. Um, and she really throws herself into the role as like this demon-possessed house guest. And you really believe she's taking a perverse joy in like tormenting this family. Another aspect of the film too that I found extremely effective is that we don't really know their motives and it's murky at best and shrouded in mystery. Um, there's no like big exposition dump in this film. Uh, it's really kind of left in the dark. And I think, you know, not knowing and it only enhances the horror. I mean, at least for me. So like, you know, overall, like my only real issue with the film is it's a bit overscored and uneven at times. I wish there were more like quieter moments to kind of let scenes breathe. But that being said, there's a piece of music at the end of the film that feels very much in the vein of something we would have gotten from Goblin in like the 80s. More of that would have taken like the film to the next level. I also like had a slight issue in the third act um, without trying to spoil anything, but the film suddenly like tries to like broaden its scale and scope and I wish it would have just stayed more contained because I feel like the ending would have had like more of an impact, like really with what they were trying to go for, I think. But with that being said, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. And for horror fans, I would definitely recommend adding this to your Halloween like watch list. Supporting indie horror is so important, and the only way we're going to get more films like Host made. I mean, Adam Leader and Richard Oakes are two directors I plan on following, and I'm really excited to see what they do next. Well, all right, Damon, what grade would you give this? So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give the film a B. 
um, definitely go ahead and check this film out. It's playing on VOD right now. So Christian, you just finished watching the series. That's right, I watched HBO Max's Raised by Wolves. Similar to how I felt in my mid-season review, this show went a million places I never thought it would. What I took away from it was this idea of the circle of life of all things. At least that's what I believe is the main central theme as we discover in the cave during the final episode there might have been a ship that started life on Earth at some point. <laughs> And while that might sound like a mild spoiler, there is so much going on in this show, I feel like that revelation in the cave is a minor plot point at best. This show went from dark, cool, violent sci-fi to Prometheus, yet I'm still interested in it. I want to know where it's going. Um, the different factions, the concept of this godlike being, a new birth coming from an android, are all handled in excitingly different and interesting ways. The performances are also extremely well handled. Every cast member from child to adult seems perfect for their role, but I will say this. This is Amanda Collins who plays Mother. It's her show. She is absolutely perfect in this role. Mother and Father's um, relationship throughout it as androids is incredible to watch. Um, on the effects side, you know, it's it's back and forth. Sometimes it's really good, other times it's, eh, it's okay. Um, you know, I won't give away the ending, but the CGI there was shaky at best for those of you who have seen it. Um, but with as many stories that they have open, by the end of the show, I fear a second season can easily be mismanaged as this story takes on a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely conflicted as I want to see more to answer the mysteries left wide open by the end of the season, but I'm also afraid that those answers will not satisfy me and drastically lower my opinion of the show as a whole. It could go either way at this point. All right, Christian, what would you grade this? If I had to give it a grade, and I'm, you know, I'm still debating at this point. Um, in my head, I'm, I'm going back and forth, back and forth. I'm going to give it a B. I think that, you know, the show could have done a little bit more tidying up, like uh, some storylines could have, you know, been a little sharper, could have, uh, at least one of them could have ended <laughs> by the end of the show, so leaving everything so open. But at the same time, you know, I think they, you know, it drew me in enough that it was an enjoyable experience, uh, but it's definitely way different than anything else I'm watching at this time. You know, I got Lovecraft Country going on, everything else. So, I mean, next season will definitely, you know, be the, the driving point for me if if I want to, like, continue seeing the show going anywhere else. You know, if, if the next season gives me some really shitty answers to these questions, then I'm, you know, 
then my opinion of the show goes way down. But I mean, like I said, you know, it, it can go either way at this point. All right, Damon, it's time to talk some wrestling. Uh, we watched a pay-per-view over the last weekend. Yes, like the 10th one from WWE in like, what, a month? Yeah. <laughs> That's how it feels at least. But this was a good one. Christian, so what was your overall thoughts of the show? My overall thoughts for the show were just kind of like it was super predictable, uh, but with really great matches. I mean, like this felt like Class of Champions, but with better matches. No, I agree 100%. I mean, none of the titles ever felt really at risk here, um, mm -hmm. you know, but it was OK. There just wasn't enough build up, um, you know, to these matches. I, it felt like they really started to build up, you know, this takeover like two weeks out. Which is weird exactly. because it's been on the schedule for a while. So I don't understand why that was, <laughs> why it took them by surprise. Um, what did you think of the uh, new Capital Wrestling Center? I thought it was a really cool, well-designed studio. I'm really into the um, actual stage element with the giant X and stuff like that. I just didn't know if that was something that they're only doing for TakeOver or if they're continuing on with the show weekly. I got the vibe that they, it was going to be something that they would do weekly now. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and just, to, it's nice just to change it up. I feel like the performance center has just been getting stale. So I'm glad that they went ahead and moved the show and changed like the setting. No, absolutely. It gives it like a very like underground feel without it being WWE underground. <laughs> so well, thank I'm God for that. that. <laughs> I like that. They still have like the live audience component, mm -hmm. um, but the screens also in the background. I think that was effective. Yes. Although they do need to, like, at least, I don't know, tie the bottom of the chain links down. I didn't even notice that too much, but... They kept on coming up every time. <laughs> so, I, I like, I don't know if someone fucked up and forgot to, like, latch it down, but I don't know. It's kind of cool, though, because if you think about it, like, it's almost like a hell in a cell. They have that element now to play with. Mm-hmm. It's always there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and get into the card. Yeah. Um, speaking of great matches, we had Damian Priest defeating Johnny Gargano for the NXT North American Championship. This by far is probably the best Damian Priest match I've seen. Um, you know, he's been really impressing me lately. So mm. I was really into this. I thought it was well paced. Um, you know, I mean, this was probably the one match where I thought there was a chance that Gargano could actually win where the title was at risk. Um, but yeah, no, I was happy with the outcome. No, um, I was at a point at the end, by, by, maybe a little bit before the end where I was just like, how much longer can this match go on? Like they had me there. Like I was really super into this match and I'm not, you know, like the last few Gargano matches and the last few priest matches have definitely never made me feel this hyped up mm. to see either of them compete. Uh, for a while so i'm definitely excited i was definitely excited to see them perform at this level it was a good back and forth you know so yes um you know i still fucking hate you know priest's gimmick i think <laughs> <laughs> you know he's i don't know he's the archer of infamy whatever the fuck that means and now he's kind of it seems like they're more pushing the rock star aspect which whatever um his promos have been better though i will say that you know, he's playing kind of like this kind of laid back kind of character. Not so mm. like, I don't know. He felt like a scummy like club guy before to me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I, I, I will say his promos have been better, but I don't know. I don't, we'll see where they go with him. 
I'm glad like the in ring work is matching up to the amount of time they're spending on him. All right. Well, up next, we had Kushida defeating Velveteen Dream by submission. So I felt like Kushida carried this match um, and made it decent. Uh, I'm just over the dream at this point. I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, his heel turn just hasn't been working for me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoyed the whole Doc Brown <laughs> gimmick coming down the you know the ramp and everything. Um, but at the same time, like his in ring work, like he's like playing heel like so over the top that I it's just hard for me to like really get into his character. Um, just overselling things like, you know, overselling something could actually hurt just as much as not selling something, um, you know, and it feels like he's almost not taking it like seriously um, to me mm-hmm. at least. So, I mean, there was a point he was selling his elbow, selling his elbow, selling his elbow. And then he goes ahead. He goes and hits his elbow off the top rope. I was like, what? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts selling well, then, it again. It's like, uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> but why would he even attempt that move? And I know that happens a lot in wrestling, but it, it felt like more of a oops, you know, like is at least at least try to adjust and, you know, change what elbow you're doing or do a different move. Well, I got to ask, do you do you think he's doing this on purpose, especially after, you know, all this all these stories about how he's being perceived in the backstage everything uh, triple h recently coming out saying yeah he made a couple bad career moves in a recent interview so <laughs> yeah i mean there's all those allegations against him and everything um mm-hmm. and i don't know i don't know if he's just he did mention that his own immaturity is getting in his way yes. um but yeah i maybe maybe the, just like the way he was selling reminded me of michaels versus hogan at SummerSlam. i don't know mm-hmm. if you I, you've seen that match right Yes, I've seen yes. how hilarious Shawn <laughs> yes. Michaels is. Over bit. the top where you're like almost uh-huh. burying your opponent. You know, so it just felt too hokey for me. I don't know. Um, with that being said, at the end of the match, uh, Kushida attacks Velveteen Dream out of nowhere again. And I know that they've been pushing, you know, uh, Kushida's got this harder edge to him now. Well, because v- but- Dream like messed with his family. It was what it was. I'm I'm all for Kushida having more of an edge to his character. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I just don't want to see this program continue on. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems like uh, what we've seen from clips, it, it is continuing. All right. Uh, up next, we had a cruiserweight championship match with Santos Escobar defeating Isaiah Swerve Scott. Escobar is the real deal. Like he's made me care about the cruiserweight like championship. And that that's saying a lot because I haven't cared about that belt in a while. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's he's just got lots of charisma. He works mm-hmm. so like fluid in the ring. I mean, Swerve is awesome, too. Um, I love like his ring entrance and everything and the whole like mariachi like get up that he had on like coming down. That was fantastic. Like I'm not a wrestling figure guy. But, like, Mattel needs to make that figure, like, now. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking badass. Like, he should come out all uh, the time in that that get-up. So, um, yeah, no, I, I really dug this match. So, it was the first... I, I can't remember the last time I really paid attention to a cruiserweight match. Exactly. So. I mean, that's usually, like, the, the pee-break match of NXT <laughs> for me, you know? I, I'm not trying to be rude, but I, I just never cared too much for the cruiserweight championship. No, but-, but, you know... Santos Escobar has an unlike surmountable amount of fucking charisma. I mean, this is um, like I was super drawn into this match. 
um, from start to finish. I mean, I've I've seen um, Isaiah Swerve Scott's work before. He is a great talent, but Escobar was on another level. He felt just larger than life, and that's what I feel like we're missing that out of a lot of um, wrestlers' characters at this point. And even though they're wrestlers and all these stories are usually wild, they're not feeling that usual larger than life like like type of person that in the ring, you know? Yeah, no, he feels like a star. Yes. You know, I mean, and I don't know if it's really, you know, the bookings doing or just, you know, his personality, but he's gotten himself over, at least in my eyes. Absolutely. So, I mean, just, you know, fucking pray that the, they don't call him up on the main <laughs> roster. I mean, look what's oh. happened to Angel Garza. We were we were kind of saying the same thing about Garza just a couple months ago. So uh-huh. <laughs> he's gonna be putting retribution in like a week. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Um. Up next, we had Io Shirai defeating Candice LeRae for the NXT Women's Championship. I thought this was a good match, but once again, I felt like Io was in no real threat of like losing her title. No, I agree. Uh, I mean, it's Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. Um, both great talents. You're going to get a good match out of them, but I I didn't believe the storyline whatsoever. You know, I didn't believe that Candice LeRae was going to bring home the title to the uh, the, the Gargano table, mm. as they say. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no. I, you know, that, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge fan of the program itself, but I was excited mm-hmm. to see the match, if that makes any sense. Um, and I, I definitely feel like they brought it. I mean, Io's just fantastic, and so is Candice. But, mm-hmm. you know, once again, it all has to do with the buildup, and there was just such a lack of, you know, this this time around with TakeOver. Uh, but what really stood out for me was what happened after the match. Two big moments. Yes. Uh, two of my favorite wrestlers finally showing back up in the NXT arena. Um, Tony Storm showed up via camera. Via satellite? <laughs> uh, Right? Satellite, yes. Camera. <laughs> um, challenging. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, challenging Io Shirai for the title, but then out of nowhere, someone in a biker helmet shows up, totally like overshadowing Tony Storm's uh, moment. Um, Ember Moon is back, of all people. Yes, she's been injured for I think over a year at this point. They've been teasing, you know, this biker character on, you know, the show. And we got the big reveal that, uh, you know, at TakeOver. Uh, it was a cool moment, but it did definitely step on, you know, Tony Storm's moment. So I mm. thought that was weird, like, how they set that up. I thought that could have been, I don't know, just better done. Um, you know, just maybe have Tony do kind of like, you know, I don't know, maybe like have her in between one of the matches do a little like promo or something like that. That would have been fine. But to have like Io, you know, react to Tony and then have to react to Ember, I don't know. It just, uh, it felt weird. Like, I, I don't know why they did it. It's awesome. I'm excited for both of them, you know, sh- exactly. you know, being part of NXT again. Um, but yeah, no, I, it was a little weird. So do you think we're going to get a three-way for the title next TakeOver? Um, I feel like it'll be probably on television, maybe at like a television special coming up. Or well, something. speaking of which, we got the huge announcement that they're bringing back Halloween Havoc. So and that is going to be on TV. Um, so I'm ge- I'm guessing maybe we'll get it there. I mean, perfect opportunity. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm super stoked for Halloween Havoc to be back. I don't know why. 
it was one of my favorite like WCW pay-per-views back in the day. So um, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because it's Halloween themed or whatever, but there was a lot of good matches on those shows. So I thought mm-hmm. I don't know why they weren't using that pay-per-view. Like this is the first time they've ever used it, which is bizarre to me. So I mean, it, I mean, maybe because they usually do Hell in a Cell in like you know October, but just fucking instead of calling it Hell in a Cell, just call it Halloween Havoc, and then have Hell in a Cell take place there. I, I yes. just and and then sometimes you don't have to have Hell in a Cell. Yeah, it's, right. It's like so have it out. as a surprise, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> instead of like you know doing these artificial buildups to fucking Hell in a Cell or like rushed buildups, as like it, most mm. of the time is the case. So, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad that NXT is going to have it. I mean, they also do war games at this point. So it just seems like they're getting all the, like the, you know, old WCW pay-per-views. At the yes, point. all the fun ones. <laughs> all right. Uh, up next, we have Finn Balor defeating Kyle O'Reilly for his NXT championship. I really enjoyed this match. I thought they told a great story. But once again, I felt like what tarnished it a little was there was never a point where I really felt like Kyle O'Reilly was going to actually win the title. Um, you know, they did a great job with like kind of like the packages that they did, you know, beforehand mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks. But still, it just I don't know with Finn just winning the belt and everything. It, you know, I hope that Kyle gets to stay around the main event scene. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it was a great match, though. I really did enjoy the match. Well, yeah, they did a good job of trying to make it as believable as possible. But I mean, yeah. Ballard just won the title. They're not taking it off of him for a while. Story-wise, it just didn't make any (laughs) sense for him to, like, you know, lose the title at this point. Mm. So, and it felt like you needed to build up Kyle more, um, you know, especially since I think this is one of his first single matches in, like, you know, over a year. So, I mean, at least let him have some kind of run (laughs) before you put him in the main event picture. Uh, You know, I mean, he did win a match, a contenders match, but it's just felt like just not enough. Like if he'd been winning Mm -hmm. on TV for the past like couple months and they're like slowly building to this, then fine. Then it's like, okay, well, this is a legit match. But since they kind of rushed it, I don't know, man. Uh, But at the same time, they lived up to what I thought they could do in the ring together. Um, And actually, I think the match got called short, um, which is crazy to say because it went 28 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Balor ended up breaking his fucking jaw on this thing. So, it, you know, they mm. he definitely, you know, called for it to go home at a certain point. So I don't know how long they were planning on going. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I thought it was the perfect amount of time in the long run. Yeah, not to get too far back, but I do think it's interesting that your same problems with uh, Jay versus Roman is the same issues that we got with O'Reilly versus Balor. Yeah, I mean, it's just bad booking, man. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i don't know what else to say i mean it's just you got to build up to these like championship matches mm. so i mean i'm i'm actually excited to see where they take the program with like jay and roman now we know that they're going to actually be having a uh, hell in a cell match so that's interesting but like but yeah after not being on camera for weeks and not having like really a singles match in months like Jay's just kind of like thrown into like a number one contender match, wins the thing, and then we're supposed to believe that he's a viable like contender for the belt, you know. And I understood that it was part of the angle, but it just there was never a point where I really felt like he was, you know, a, a legitimate threat to Roman's mm-hmm. title. And I mean, I guess that's part of the storyline, but 
you know, am I going to be that super invested into, you know, that match, you know, prior? <laughs> now, I love what they did with the match, you know, when it actually happened. And now I care about, you know, seeing what happens at Hell in the Cell. But I still even feel like Hell in the Cell might end up being, you know, just more of a angle than an actual match. So, um, but I do like the angle. So I guess I'm okay with it. <laughs> but here with Kyle, I, I feel like this is it. You're not going to see, a, you know, a Balor versus, you know, O'Reilly, you know, program happening here. Mm. So, I mean, it's um, cool. I hope that they do consider him more of a, you know, singles competitor because he definitely, you know, can hold his own. And he's fantastic. Yeah, I, d- yeah, I definitely hope that this opens more doors for him now going forward. Yeah, yeah, and we'll see. You know, there is a draft coming up. <laughs> well, I don't want those doors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying if they do take Adam Cole, you know, uh, over to Raw or SmackDown, then maybe Kyle kind of steps up and becomes the leader, you know, the de facto leader of, uh, you know, Undisputed. Okay, I can see that. But probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw at the end of this match, uh, Rich Holland came out seemingly attacking Adam Cole on um, bringing his, you know, dead body basically <laughs> out to the ring. Um, the rest of Undisputed Era ran out. I almost felt like maybe they're hinting at like, you know, something more happening there because why weren't they with mm-hmm. Cole? But I could be reading into things. I still would want Balor to be the leader if they were to make a new one. Maybe. I, I, I'm all for that, but we've been asking for that since he showed up on NXT uh-huh. again. So. <laughs> all right. So moving on, because we still have to talk about, you know, G1 Climax 30. Um, what would you give this star wise? Um, star wise, I think I'm going to give it three and a half. I think there were some really great matches. Storylines are still kind of just up in the air for me. Uh, and at the end of the day, the storylines should matter and should make me want to watch the show weekly. So, yeah. And, it, you know, that's definitely been a struggle for me, like, you know, being invested in the show weekly. So I always kind of watch it as, you know, just an afterthought, uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, like, I love the wrestling on the show, but I'm just not, once again, invested in the characters. So um, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to I'm going to be a little kinder. I'm going to give it a I'm going to give it four stars. So okay. I, because I thought the matches were great, like, you know, there wasn't a bad match on this card and they were all particularly good. Even, you know, what we got with like Dream, you know, even though he drives me insane, I liked what we got out of Kushida and I actually respected like how much he carried him. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to give it I'm going to give it four stars. All right. All right. Fair. All right. Now we got to move on to the G1 Climax. All right, so we're actually running short on time right now. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to kind of breeze through the results because there's about four days worth and uh, (laughs) talk about the standings and where everyone's at right now. All right, we're going to start off with night eight for the B block uh, with Juice Robinson defeating Yano. Uh, Then we had Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Goto. We had Tanahashi defeating Yoshihashi. We had Evil defeating Kenta and Sonata defeating Naito. I told you, man. <laughs> They're building something up with Sonata. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't surprised with Sonata winning, but I'm still not on board the Sonata train. <laughs> so it is what it is. I don't know. I know you feel differently. Yeah, man, you got to drink the punch. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> I just, I don't know, man. I want that guy to find a personality. I really. Well, now that he's. Now that he's beaten Naito, doesn't that mean he gets an opportunity after the G1 you either should. way? Yeah. 
Yeah, but that doesn't give him a personality unless the match is for personality. <laughs> it's for Nido's charisma. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> a charisma on a pole match. Uh, also, Evil uh, defeating Kenta. There seems to be friction there. Uh, Jay White commented on it afterwards. So we'll see if that leads to anything. Um, you know, Jay and Evil are on separate cards. So I mean, I don't I, I I'm wondering if maybe they're hinting at maybe, you know, who the winners are. Maybe we'll see a uh, finals between the two. I doubt it, though. It just seems like it's going to be more drama that they're going to, you know, that's going to end up unfolding. Like, who's the real leader of the Bullet Club? Maybe it'll be on the undercard of the final night, but hopefully not the actual finals. <laughs> I do like how, like, each of these nights are staying under three hours. You know, at first I was worried I was going to miss, like, the tag matches on the mm. card because they did build up, you know, since you have the opposite card doing the tag matches. They always seem to really build up, you know, the next round, you know, of matches, you know, for whatever block, you know, they're in. Um, but it's it's really nice to have these shows be under three hours, yes. <laughs> <laughs> especially when you've got like four every week. Um, but yeah, no. Anyway, let's move on to the next card. All right. For night nine on the A block, we had Shingo defeating Takahashi. We had Jeff Cobb defeating Jay White. We had Okada defeating Suzuki. We had Ishii defeating Taichi. And we had Kota Ibushi defeating Will Ospreay. So the Ibushi-Ospreay match was fantastic. Um, but honestly, it was the only match that I saw from this card. So I can't really comment that much about it. Uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting that Cobb got a big win. Yes, over Jay yes, White. Yes, but it's she won, so that shit happens. Um, <laughs> but it shows me at least they're, you know... They've got some stock in Cobb. All right. For night 10 on the B block, we had Goto defeating Yano. We had Sonata defeating Zack Sabre Jr. We had Evil defeating Juice Robinson. We had Naito defeating Yoshihashi. And we had Tanahashi defeating Kenta by submission. Once again, I didn't see any of these matches, Christian. Did you see any of them? No, man. I'm behind. I'm still on last week. It's a lot of wrestling. It's a lot of wrestling. Yes. <laughs> it's not like this is just a wrestling podcast, so I think it's forgivable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I love that Goto beat Yano in 18 seconds. That's hilarious. I, I want to yeah. watch that. <laughs> I got 18 seconds, yeah, right? right? <laughs> I can make time for that. All right, let's move on to night 11. Yes, on the A block side, we had Ishii defeating Takahashi. We had Okada defeating Jeff Cobb. We had Will Ospreay defeating Suzuki. We had Jay White defeating Taichi. And we had Shingo defeating Ibushi. I'm starting to think that there's probably more going on for Shingo, maybe by the end of this G1. You think they're... Because he's been getting a lot of big wins. You're you're thinking they're leveling him up? Yeah, level up. All right, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. He's fantastic. So I, I have no problem with that. So let's look at the current standings. All right, for A block, we have Ibushi, Jay White, Okada, and Will Ospreay with eight points. We have Suzuki, Taichi, Takagi, um, and Ishii all with six points. And we have Cobb and Takahashi. Nope. And we have Cobb with four points and Takahashi uh, with zero. Yeah, I mean, no real big surprises at the top of this, you know? I mean, Ibushi, White, Okada, Osprey, we all figured that they would be doing well at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I like that it's so close right now. 
Because other years there's been times where like someone's just running away with things. Exactly. Uh, but it leaves less room for an underdog wi- victory at the end, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, someone could come up, though. I mean, it's definitely True. not going to be Yujiro. I can tell you right now. <laughs> definitely shows you how short uh, they were on wrestlers. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> they might have saw something. He had a feud with Okada. I mean, uh-huh. come on. <laughs> All right. Um, on the other side, we had Naito with eight points alone. Um, we have Evil, Tanahashi, Yano, and Robinson with six points. Uh, we have Goto, Sonata, Kenta, um, Zack Sabre Jr., all with four, and Yoshihashi with two. Poor fucking Yoshihashi. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sonata's going to start rising up, you know, the point board. Um, I don't think he's going to end up, you know, in the finals or anything, but I think he's going to get close. I definitely think it's Sonata and Kenta who are most surprised by being so like low on the standings. But I mean, their their numbers are all pretty even at this point either way. Yeah, I mean, it's still kind of early, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is scary to say. <laughs> Got plenty more G1 to yeah. talk about. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I just have to try to make time <laughs> to watch these cards, man. Well, we don't have any fucking WWE pay-per-views this weekend. Just step... Put put aside your Sunday and just binge through. Whatever. At least I'm not a week behind. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's like this every oh, year. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know what the problem is? Is because it's horror month. You know, uh, we, we're not usually doing this in October. No. Yeah. We, usually it's what July. And I have to edit like all these fucking countdowns. <laughs> it's for the people, Christian. Yes, it's for the Stop fans. Stop <laughs> <laughs> all right let's take it home all right but before we head out make sure to head over to dramacityproductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts that's right and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform make sure you subscribe rate and give us a five-star review yeah it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going and you know what if you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode make sure you go ahead and follow us on facebook instagram twitter and see the full versions of these articles plus a whole lot more yeah you can follow us at amazing nerd show that's your nerd hub for all things pop culture and if you're looking to further support the show go ahead and buy some merch over at t public they have shirts they have sweatshirts i think they have mugs bumper stickers the works man absolutely and you can also head over to prowrestlingtees.com and find our merch there as well yeah while you're at it go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestlers t-shirt all right damon next week we're going to be reviewing the boys season two what else are we going to be talking about in the episode well christian horror month continues and we're going to go ahead and be counting down the greatest horror remakes of all time should be a controversial list oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) all right my name's christian and my name's damon and that's the amazing nerd show I'm coming apart! Oh, mother of God, I'm coming apart!